This episode made possible in part by educator, hobby comic book collector, and pop culture enthusiast, Sam Lim. Sam just moved to the South Jersey area and is looking to connect with other comics fans as well as retailers. They are also looking for comic shops to explore, so recommendations are welcome. Be sure to follow Sam on Instagram at SZLComics. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany, New Jersey the next time you're in the Garden State. And be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Three decades ago, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers captured my imagination. Like many of my fellow 90s kids, I watched after school, joined the official fan club, and of course, collected the toys. Eventually, I put those toys away, but the flame of my Power Rangers fandom never died. Now, in this milestone 30th anniversary year, I am re-examining the show, its legacy, and the tale of its most legendary ranger across media. It's time to get back to action. Welcome to Summoning the Zords, a Power Rangers fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss the second year of the Boom Studios' Mighty Morphin Power Rangers comic book series, written by Kyle Higgins, is one of the hosts of the Dollar Bin Bandits podcast, Joe Marcello. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me back. First time on this show, not the first time yes. you and I have podcasted. You've been on my yeah. Superman show, Digging for Kryptonite, a couple of yes. times recently. my apologies. Let, right, let me uh, clarify. First time discussing Power Rangers with you and the rest of the world hearing. Yes. Yes. No, and I'm, I'm happy to have you here. I'm happy to compare notes. Always happy to, to connect with a fellow Power Rangers fan. Let's start, before we dive into these specific issues, and just for our audience, we read issues 13 through 24 of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers from Boom Studios. Um, before we dive into that, though... I'd love to hear a bit about your Power Rangers fan journey. I mean, I know we touched on this off mic a while ago when I was first starting yeah. to put the show together, but officially for our audience. And and I guess by way of setup, I'm particularly curious because I've talked about how I was just the perfect age. I was right in that sweet spot when this show dropped. And I don't say this to, to make you sound old. We're not far apart. But even just a few years, I know, can make such a huge difference. So I'm curious how old you were when you got into it. What grabbed you about it? And how long did you follow this franchise? So I'm going to preface this with, I watch a lot of television, or I did when I was much younger. And it came out when I was in high school. So I forget the year exactly. So I graduated high school in 96. I think it debuted on television like, Jeez, 93, 94? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 93. Maybe, maybe later than that, but it was around that time. And it was certainly after, you know, most people of my age were not really watching stuff. But, you know, I always liked TV and cartoons and like even now, you know, so I would come home and, you know, either do my homework or, you know, certainly attempt it and watch TV. So I'm flipping through and I come across this show that is just bananas to me like i don't understand like i was confused because it's clearly two different it looked like two different shows just sandwiched together you know i'm seeing what is obviously um footage from an old kung fu style you know tv show and then all of a sudden they're cutting 
and there are, um, you know, American actors. And there was something about the setting that just looked so contrived to me. You know, Angel Grove and, you know, they're all always hanging out in like a juice bar and exercising, which is great, but it just seems so phony to me. However, I was hooked because they were all into martial arts. And when I was much younger, I was um, big into martial arts. I went through years of Taekwondo and all that stuff. And when I saw the, um, it was the Green Ranger saga that absolutely hooked me. And I was like, this is, this is amazing. This is absolutely bonkers. Uh, It was so cool. And then, you know, when they would summon the Zords, I'm like, oh my God, it's like Godzilla. You know, it's like old school Godzilla people in, in suits and they're clearly falling on cardboard buildings. And I was like, I can totally appreciate this. It's absolutely goofy. And I was, I was at a part where point in my life where I was like, do I tell people I like admit to watching this <laughs> or what? And I got into it and, you know, it, it it got to a point where, and um, I graduated high school, and my uh, my yearbook, they were like, "Oh, the future!" You know, one of those captions they give you or whatever. And they said, "Oh, the future White Power Ranger," and I was like, "Oh wow, someone got me!" You know. So when I was in martial arts, um, when I was taking Taekwondo, that back jumping spin kick that Tommy would do, I was like, "That was my jam. I'm gonna I'm gonna do that. I'm going to." learn to do that. And I did. So at the time I was, I was all about that. So that's what I kind of appreciated about the, the, sh- the series. And then, um, they started to evolve and change and, you know, I heard rumblings at the time, you know, through like, you know, you know, more magazines, there wasn't any internet at the time, but in like entertainment shows that there was issues with, within the program and I just started watching it. How could this happen? And then, um, you know, characters started changing, people would come and go. When Tommy left, I was like heartbroken and then he came back as the White Ranger. So I was I was in heaven. (laughs) That's so silly. But um, (laughs) and then it was probably right when, you know, like they had the movie. Then right about when the second movie came out, I was kind of on my way out. So um, it was Power Rangers Turbo or something like that. I was not really into it. All the major the main Power Rangers had left for the original Mighty Morphin ones had left the series whole new group of kids had come in so i was kind of out of it but over the years i would still pop back and kind of see what was going on and now my son is getting into power rangers but it's like you know the newer version like dino fury or one of the other incarnations i'm like but mikey you need to understand you gotta read you gotta watch the original the og ones to really get an appreciation for it and you know he now the production value is is much higher than it was. I think they're starting to produce or shoot their own um, their own like footage of like the Zords and stuff like that because they're I guess they're at the limit or tapped out on most of their um, their Japanese footage or some of what I've read is that that is so. So you know, long story short, <laughs> that's that's the gist of it. No, it's so it's really interesting to get your perspective, especially as someone who came to it later. I mean, a good bit later than I did. I mean, I was in kindergarten when I when I started watching this, right? And of course it hooked me. And and so for you to come to it 
as a high schooler and be able to see those seams, so to speak, right? To see how these two different shows were were stitched together, yeah. which was something that totally went over my head as a little kid. It's made it fascinating to rewatch now, but at the time I, I, I didn't put that together at all. And then also to have the perspective of being a martial artist, which is something that other than taking some karate classes when I was a really little kid, it was not anything that I ever delved into, but I could imagine how how you would have that connection point and, and how that would be so cool. And especially to be able to emulate the moves. I mean, that's, that's impressive. I mean, that's one of the things now that's been such a treat about rewatching the episodes as a kid. I, I don't think I really ever appreciated the skill that these actors had. And I, and I guess in fairness, they were, you know, martial artists first, right. Turn, turned actors, but nevertheless, the, the apparently skill some had, of them, only some of them right. were, and, and I didn't mean to cut you off. And that was, one of the things I come to find later on in life and, you know, I was severely disappointed is, you know, at the time, you know, they're all doing martial arts on the show. That's their thing. That's how they fight. And if you watch it, it's clear. Some of them really know it. They know their thing. Like Tommy, he is in, you know, anyone who is on the internet knows like he, you know, he has his own martial arts studio. He eats, sleeps and breathes the stuff. He was a Muay Thai fighter for a long time. Um, and then the Red Ranger, Austin St. John, he was into Austin St. John, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he was into martial arts at the time. The others, not so much. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Kimberly clearly didn't know anything, but uh, she was a gymnast. So that was her claim to fame. So when, you know, watching it, I'm like, oh, that's cool. And that's cool. And, I don't know what hip hop keto is, but apparently that's a thing. And I was that cornball stuff that really, you know, I laughed at and got me hooked into it. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's funny how these things, you know, played out a little bit differently for each of us, but still hooked us yeah. respectively. So, uh, no, it's, it's really cool to, to get that, you know, to get that take on it. And I guess flash forward now to these comics right these this recent era of boom studios comics as i as i've said on all these episodes and i will continue to say i mean i'm i'm so late to the game here i'm playing catch up i did not watch i did not read these as they were originally coming out you know like yourself after i stopped watching and for me i i tapped out during zeo so it was right before the turbo movie and the turbo season so we yeah. ended at roughly similar points you know, yeah. like yourself, I would occasionally check in on the show, especially with the advent of YouTube. And it was easier to just kind of like pull up clips. I, I don't know that I've actually, actually, I I don't think I have actually sat down and watched an episode or wherever it's airing now live, but, you know, through Netflix, I guess more recently, but also YouTube. I mean, I've, I've caught clips here and there, but it wasn't something that I really followed. Mm -hmm. and, and so when they announced the comics and I've talked about this before, I've always had somewhat of an aversion to the, you know, comic book adaptations, continuations, yeah. tie in sort of thing. So it just, it didn't totally grab me, but I heard nothing but amazing things. And we talked about this in, in the prior discussion where we covered year one of the, the boom studio series. I mean, I, I, I wish I had read it sooner, but I'm glad I'm here now. And they're fantastic yeah. for all the reasons that we've talked about and we'll continue to talk about. But unlike me, right, you you were reading these as they were coming out a little bit later. Yeah. Why did you jump on? Yeah, I, I read them as they were coming out with a few, the exception of a few issues here and there. So when uh, you mentioned what we were reading, I was like, oh, I think I actually have all those front and center. So I was able to go back and, and 
dive back into them. And I found them so much fun because they took the characters that we all appreciate and love and really built on them. I mean, here's the thing. What I appreciate about this series as opposed to, let's say, you know, for comparison's sake, our Superman discussions. Superman has 80 years plus of history behind him. You know, up teen series, movies, etc. And it's been analyzed and broken down from many angles and points of view. This is all relatively new. We've had a TV show, a couple of movies here and there, and now the series. So everything, I think, is just brand new for the most part. And I don't find myself bumping into things the way I would with Superman. You know, because everyone, like anything they introduce, with the exception of characters, is all new. Like the fact that they're diving into the backstory, like of characters and their family problems and things like that. I'm like, oh, this is cool. This is interesting. I'm learning about these characters. Like, kind of know Mon Pa Kent. We know Jimmy Olsen, all his foibles. We know, you know, Lex is a dick. I mean, you know, we know all this stuff. So the fact that this is all new. And they just built upon these the mythos of these characters and give them a cool twist, as we'll get into in this series. I was I was really enjoying it. No, that's a fantastic point, especially in contrast to 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 Superman. No, you're right, because there have been so many stories with Superman across decades, across media. And it's not that you can't find a cool, new, interesting, fun angle in, you know, creators are always doing it, but it it's not always the easiest task. And yeah. and when we as fans, as readers, as viewers are presented with something, yeah, we always sort of have something to compare it to. We're always measuring it against something, even if it's just this idealized version in our mind or the headcanon we've constructed for what the best version of the Superman story and, and characterization might be. Here, it's like, yeah, there is there's so much more of an opportunity, I guess. And and that is what makes these comics so, so beautiful to read is that it fleshes out all of those things that it either you thought about when you were watching when you were younger, maybe didn't even think to consider. Mm-hmm. And and now you're getting all of these, uh, you know, all these other aspects uh, addressed. And and you're right. I mean, all of the, you know, all the scenes with the Rangers and their families, you know, that mm-hmm. was something that was almost entirely lacking from, you know, that early Mighty Morphin era. I, I don't know in subsequent years and iterations of the franchise if that's changed at all, but certainly the time we were watching, you didn't get that. I never Never did. And I was there. I remember actually thinking at one point, I'm like, are these kids either orphans or they're just severely neglected by their parents? Because they're never home when I I don't ever remember them actually being home because they're always at the, you know, the juice bar, because that apparently is the best place on earth. And I or fighting. So. I, I don't like, you know, like, you know, they have parents, obviously they have families of some kind. So, you know, what's going on? You never, it never got any deeper into the characters themselves. Probably the most they ever, you know, the deepest thing they ever did was like when Tommy and Kimberly apparently liked each other. I like him. Oh, he's cute. You know, like, and that was it. And uh, beyond that, like character wise, there was no building on these characters in the show. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I, I agree with that generally. And, and specifically with respect to the parents, I guess that's why you see 
with the 2017 reboot movie, for example, which I'm a fan of. I know people, I, you know, I enjoyed it. <laughs> like weren't totally <laughs> grabbed it. by it, but I enjoyed it. And, and there, you know, you did see them, you know, play with this idea of some, maybe most of, of the Rangers, you know, we got to see their home lives. And in a lot of instances we saw that, you know, they didn't have, I guess, that traditional fully intact home life. Right. Mm-hmm. That that even the characters on the original show, though, the glimpses of them are fleeting. But when we do see them now, in fairness, in the show, we did they did address Kimberly's parents getting a divorce and things like that. But for the most part, right. it seemed like these kids largely had a stable, more or less traditional home life. And right. I think but it's funny because when you look at the role that Zordon plays really as the surrogate father, it it is very natural. And I see why the new movie would go there. Right. To explore mm-hmm. this idea of you know, this parental figure filling in where, you know, they might not, might not necessarily be having that uh, at home. Yeah. It's right yeah, there. I was, yeah, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. And, um, I, well, I'll save it for later. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I just, it, it was, um, in comparison to the original series versus the movie and how they mix things up, which I appreciate it because, there um at the time when the series was created it was a way different time you know politically socially uh you know a lot had changed it, you know from then till 2017 and just the fact that if you look at the colors of the rangers and who is wearing them you couldn't get away with not that they were necessarily trying to say or do anything with that choice but you couldn't do that nowadays. <laughs> like you couldn't. And I don't know how they were able to do it back then. It was just so stereotypical, like, you know, but anyway. No, it's true. I mean, I, I remember when that was it college humor or funny or die. One of them did that video pointing that out. And I, maybe I was in college at the time. I was like high school or college at the time. I don't know if I had ever really pondered that. I certainly wasn't thinking yeah. about that when I was watching it as a little kid. But I remember watching that video. and I was like, yeah, like that's so messed up. I mean, thankfully, you know, the the movie, uh, you know, the new movie sort of, uh, you know, did, did a better job with that. And, and yeah. obviously subsequent seasons of the show and, and, you know, eras of the franchise did as well. But certainly in that right. initial group, you look at it, it is pretty questionable. And so, that was one thing I, I'm sorry, because no, I know no, no. we're going off. That was one thing I kind of appreciate about one of the uh, issues in this is one of the flashback sequences. They mix up those colors a bit. So and I thought that was very funny. Yes. Well done, but very funny. You know, before we dive into these issues, I mean, I have a question about these issues that I want to pose to you. Because I feel like one of the tests when we're talking about these comic book adaptations, continuations, is that is the voice test, right? As you're reading the character's dialogue, can you hear the actor's voice in your head? And I would say, you know, I, I talked about this in the last discussion that I, for the most part, the answer was yes, I, I did. And, and that's still true here. Although I feel like with Jason in particular, he sounded so much like an adult in in a lot, especially the discussions with Grace Sterling over mm-hmm. methods, it just yeah. felt so much more. Not that Jason on the show was immature, but this just felt like a such a a more adult, mature version of the character. And I'm torn because on the one hand, you know, part of me feels like, oh, does it not line up? But at the same time, he's dealing with issues here that he never had to on the show. Yeah, right. Where do you land on something like that? I I agree with that. 
I'm reading Zordon stuff and I'm hearing his voice. Alpha, obviously, I'm hearing a little robot. Um, and for the most part, I am I can I'm hearing the characters as they were in the show. Um, Jason, not so much. And certainly like um Trini, I I I after a while I stopped kind of associating her voice, especially at the beginning of this series, because she had a very, um, very cutesy voice in the series. And that voice didn't really, I didn't hear that voice when I'm reading this post-apocalyptic, you know, version that we're reading. Um, and then, you know, I get all the others more or less sound the same. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Jason on the series kind of always sounded like this, had this pouty voice to him. I'm like, I don't know why you're like, you sound like this all the time, but um, you know, it, it on the series, he sounds like he's trying to be tougher than he really is. And I'm not hearing that when I'm reading this, I'm, I'm hearing someone with a very serious voice. He's seasoned. He's, you know, he has a purpose to what he's, you know, doing. And, you know, he's clearly burdened with these decisions that he has to make. Like, you know, in the series, it's like, it's more from time with God. That's it. <laughs> I got a sword. Woo. You know. yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. And maybe that's the answer. Maybe the fact that we are delving into more mature territory, you know, the characters will deal with that in kind. And so, yeah, it might not always line up with what we remember because we don't have that specific frame of reference for these characters and, you know, right. in, in fairness. Let me say, so issues 13 through 24, I really enjoyed these. Not quite as much as I did issues 1 through 12. I felt like those were really epic. I think they really hit the ground running and setting up the Lord Draken storyline. Even though I knew who he was going to turn out to be, I thought the it was still really well done. Like I, I really had a lot of fun with those first 12 issues. I still had fun with these, slightly less so, but I still enjoyed them. So you know, we certainly don't need to do issue by by issue synopsis or breakdown or anything like that. We could talk more about the arcs, the characters, the themes, but just big picture for anyone who either hasn't read them or needs a, a little refresher. We pick up with uh, Tommy and Billy in this alternate timeline in the world ruled by Lord Draken, while the rest of the Rangers uh, are still sharing Tommy's uh, Green Ranger power back uh, on, on our world, our timeline. And are trying to find a way to uh, to defeat Rita and to save their friends. Uh, and of course, ultimately, they are able to do so. And they're able to bring Tommy and Billy home. Lord Draken hitches a ride uh, and is scooped up by, as we later find out, Grace Sterling. And so this is this becomes a big part of uh, the, the latter batch of issues that we read here, where during the period of time in these stories where Zordon is still missing, right? He's been missing since uh, uh, the, the prior arc and... Uh, Alpha and Saba are able to uh, re-tether him and bring him back to the to the command center. But in the interim, uh, we have these dealings between Grace Sterling and her Promethea company and the Power Rangers. And we find out that Grace was actually part of an earlier Power Rangers team in the 60s at the time of the moon landing. Uh, and we, you know, we can get more into that, but that definitely added a new layer. And uh, also on top of all of this, we have Finster running around creating these uh, humanoid, uh, you know, creatures that that become monsters uh, and the Rangers have to contend with that. So, uh, again, it was an interesting batch of issues. And I think thematically, just these these revelations about the earlier uh, 
iteration of the Rangers, Zordon's withholding of that information, as well as other information, like the fact that uh, Zack had been approached by Rita before Jason about becoming the Green Ranger, uh, Jason having to make the decision about whether or not to trust Grace and work with Grace uh, over Zordon's objections, uh, and then ultimately coming to find that Grace's methods don't necessarily line up with uh, Jason's ideals. So I thought thematically there was a lot of interesting interesting business there that, again, the show wasn't designed for. So th- I think that was what I probably enjoyed most ab- about all of this. How about yourself? Like big no, picture I, impressions. I, 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 so what I loved about Lord Draken is just, first off, he's, you know, the amalgam of the white and green ranger. And I, I absolutely adore that because they're my two favorites. You know, Tommy was my favorite ranger and I've had arguments with people about this, like whatever, like he's from a different series and just edit him in. I'm like, I I don't care. Like as it pertains to the way it was presented to me on TV, that counts. So shut up. (laughs) But at any rate, um, you know, I really enjoyed the way they they blended those two characters together. And I personally think Tommy is better as a bad guy. At least the way I hear him when he was on the show, um, it seemed like he was trying to put on like a nice guy fake voice in the series. So when he was bad, he was just much more enjoyable as a bad guy. I thought. But at any rate, um, the, you know, Draken, as you said, I knew where it was going um, and is a it's a really fun bad guy uh, character. The Finster part of it. I loved because he never had a time to shine in the series and he was almost like a Hannibal Lecter style temperament to him. He was just very cool and calm and would just stand there and hear my creations. And he's is extraordinarily smart and he clearly knows more than he's ever let to do uh, or allowed to do. And uh, the fact that he really, I mean, he carried a few issues just on his own, you know, with that whole, you know, his new creation of, of putty variations, I guess. So that was a really fun story uh, arc or that section of the story arc. Um, and then the new or the brief uh, Power Ranger team was fantastic. Like I mentioned, they mixed up the colors. Woman was a Red Ranger. They had some, you know, guy was a pink ranger. He even joked about it. He's like, pink, really? I'm like, well, you know, you blame, you got to blame yourself because you had a pink shirt on and clearly rangers only wear the color, (laughs) the color of their, you know, ranger outfit. So um, you only have yourself to blame. And, you know, a power ranger or two died as a result. Like no one ever dies. Three, right. No one ever dies in those series. Like, so. You know, that was, um, you know, there were actually legit consequences as it pertains to these characters. So, um, yeah, it was fun. I mean, that's you start playing with the the characters and make the um, the consequences count. That makes for a compelling story. I agree with all of that. We'll, we'll unpack it more uh, before we take a commercial break. You know, we've been joking in these episodes about about the fact that they wear the, their their colors all the time uh, in their civilian identities. And yes, it's kind of silly. You know, no one can piece together that this five or six person team who's always wearing the same colors could actually be the Power Rangers. But 
Uh, to me, is what the funnier part, and maybe some of these comics address it. Again, I've now talked about the sum total of the boom comics that I've read. So this might be addressed. I know there's also the Go-Go Power Ranger series, which we'll be getting to down the line a little bit. So maybe this has come up. But to me, it's just funny, especially when in the later seasons when they did start mixing up colors, especially by the, the Zio uh, era. And I'm just curious, like, does Zordon provide a stipend of some sort for them to go to the store and buy new clothes? Is Alpha dyeing them or doing some sort of molecular reconfiguration that changes their colors? Because I feel like that's a lot to put on a high schooler. It's like, you know, I get a whole new wardrobe every time we switch up our powers, which is annually at a certain point. I feel like that's a lot. Well, if you noticed, Tommy did change all his attire from green to white. Oh, I know. (laughs) so clearly gap had a sale so you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right we'll take a quick commercial break and then we'll continue we'll be right back and we're back so like i said i i mean i agreed with with all the points you brought up especially finster man it's the sort of thing to me finster was always just sort of there obviously especially watching it as a kid you gravitate to to rita and probably goldar most of all and then later zed well wait till we get to zed (laughs) but squat babu finster they never really did much for me. And reading yeah. these issues, it was a revelation. It's like, oh, you know, like you said, this whole characterization of him as this artist, right? Who's, who's, yeah. you know, you know, creating this chaos. That's his gift to the world. And, and the fact that he's been so, so stifled or restrained and having to, to carry out Rita's whims. And now while she's off the grid, you know, he has the opportunity to sort of, you know, create his own, his own brand of mayhem. It was great. And I, and I wasn't expecting it because there's, you know, the, the, the part in the story where, you know, Grace comes to the Rangers with this village that they found that's shrouded in fog and it's this illusion. Mm-hmm. It's not on any map. And, you know, my initial gut prediction was, oh, it's probably like Rita hiding out with the, with the rest of them. But no, it's, it's just Finster. And he's created this, you know, again, like this whole town of these, of these putty creations who, who look and act like humans until they become monsters. The most fascinating aspect of all of this was this leads to a conversation a little bit later with Kimberly and Trini, where they're talking about, like, it's very philosophical about the life that Finster imbues his creations with. Yeah. Where does it come from? Because they talk about how, I think, I don't know, one of them says, you know, I know Finster sculpts them and then, you know, Rita animates them, but, and, and, you know, makes them grow and everything, but they they emerge with these personalities and, and backstories. It's like, what is that? And I think Kimberly says, well, it's, it's magic. And I guess you can just chalk it up to that. But I thought it was a really interesting question. It, I, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, that stuck out and I haven't read too much further. Uh, I'm into the shattered grid uh, series. So I, you know, if they explore it at some point, I'm not aware of it, but that's definitely something that, hopefully does come back up because it definitely, you know, it, it warrants exploring because it's definitely really deep and cool. The fact that they're even calling that out in this, in this series. So, um, you know, whereas other, you know, other stories or comic books would be like, Oh, we implanted them. That's all just, you know, memories we implanted in them or something like that. So yeah, that that was a really cool. You know, and again, I don't know if they'll even get into this down the line, but then it also raises the ethical question when they're when they're destroying, I mean, they're killing these creatures in battle 
And again, it's you don't think about it too much when you know that they were again molded from clay and then animated and and they go off. But once now you introduce this idea of some form of of life, not just that they're being animated. Uh, again, it just raises these questions. And honestly, even mm-hmm. if they never circle back to this in the comics, that's fine. I just, I appreciated that the conversation was had. I thought that was a cool, and that's the thing too, because when you think about all of those monsters, yeah, they're not they're not mindless. They don't all sound and talk the same and and espouse the same ideas other than world domination for Rita. But it's like, mm-hmm. they all have their own things going as if they've always been around. It, it is, it is kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, when have you ever thought of power Rangers getting so deep? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join All Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit awyeahcomics.com and follow All Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me, All Yeah! Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. On a personal note, my short film, By Spoon, The J. Mizell Story, played at these fests, so I know firsthand what fun and well-run events they are. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts, available via a shared universe network. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina, for people of all ages and walks of life. Now in its 40th year, this multiple-time Eisner Award nominee features a significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection. As the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material, mail order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. I also have to say, so in the in the prior discussion, we talked about the moment in the first arc when Tommy and Jason are really butting heads. Mm-hmm. And Zordon takes them both to task and he says, Tommy, uh, this is after, you know, they got their signals crossed during one of the battles and there was property destruction. And Zordon says to uh, to Jason, you know, as team leader, it's your responsibility to make sure everyone knows what the directions are. And Tommy, as the new team member, it's your responsibility to ask questions when something is unclear. It's, it's going to sound stupid, but whatever. Even to this down 35 now, and the show or the franchise is still imparting lessons to me because there have been instances recently. I'm in a, I mean, it's been a year now, but I'm in a relatively new role at my job. And there have been a couple of times recently where you know, I could have just let something go or, or kind of said, oh, I, I think I have the right idea and I, and I just kind of have gone off and no joke. I've actually, th- I've actually thought about the words of Zordon. And I said to myself, no, it's <laughs> like, it's your responsibility to ask. 
I was like, it's your responsibility to ask if you don't know. <laughs> so yeah. it's, you know, it was kind of a beautiful thing because as a kid, and I remember, I remember, you know, writing about Power Rangers and, and I would always write about the, um, you know, the, the teamwork and, and, you know, uh, that aspect probably more than anything else that really always resonated. Uh, so even from a little kid, it, it had an impression on me. And even to this day, like that's a specific panel that I've mm-hmm. actually like drawn tangible inspiration from even as an adult. So thank you, Power Rangers. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Yeah. Zordon had the right idea. One of my favorite issues, I think, in this entire 12 issue batch was the Zordon issue where we see him trapped outside of time and, and sort of observing what's been going on. I thought that was anytime for me, anytime you get to see Zordon in any kind of different context. I mean, to yeah. this day, the image of him from the Mighty Morphin movie, you know, laying out there after his tube has been shattered. I mean, I, I can never get that out of my mind. That was mind blowing as a kid after watching the show and then going to the movie and seeing him lying there. It was like, oh my God. So I thought, that, what did you think of the, the Zordon bit there? A hundred percent. And, you know, to your point about the movie, I could never understand how all this worked. You know, they, they explain it in their Power Rangeries, but, you know, he's somehow time space uh, displaced or something like that. So this tube is like I could never it never made sense to me. Like, so is he like in the tube or is he someplace? And the tube is like his screen to talk to these people because it didn't it never made sense. The fact that, okay, if they just break the tube, well, he's there, you know, in the movie, like he's all shriveled up and funky. So like that never made sense to me. Um, Many other things in that movie never made sense to me. But at any rate, um, I really like when they expand on his character, though, because you like they set him up perfectly. Like, okay, he's thousands of years old, first of all. He has he was a Power Ranger himself or some variation thereof in the past. In the movie, he was a he was the Red Ranger in the new movie. Rita was the Green Ranger, which I thought was badass. I thought that was awesome. Um, and the next series or sec or volume or section after the ones we read, they go more into him. Uh, I, as I recall, no, no, no. I'm sorry. That was another. Um, another version of the power Rangers series. I'm sorry, but they, they explore his character and expand on his backstory more, which I find fascinating because like, you know, you don't know too much about him, but apparently he knows everything and has all the power can guide all these guys, uh, all the characters to where they need to be and what to do. So like, you know, there's more to this character than meets the eye. And you know, the fact that they're presenting it this way, little by little uh, makes it very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that you you get to see the Rangers call him out for not telling them about the other team yep. and then seeing seeing his guilt and shame over that. You know, I, I think it's it's a you know, it, it's a worthwhile story to tell because especially on the television show, you know, you you didn't really get much of that tension between him and the team, which it feels like a natural, especially thinking about it from a modern adult lens. Mm-hmm. And that's why even in the, in, in the prior arc, it was, it was so cool to see uh, this friction, especially coming from Zach, probably most of all this idea that Zordon didn't even consult with them about whether or not they wanted Tommy to be part of the team. 
even yeah. Tommy is not, cons- you know, you watch the show, and it's just like this, this poor kid has been under the spell. The second he's out of it, it's like, Hey, you're a power ranger now. He's like, okay. So, yeah. you know, there's definitely some, some questionable stuff and to see them address it, you know, I, I thought was, was really refreshing. And also, you know, it, I don't know, it, it, it rings true. I mean, you can imagine what even this, this, you know, uh, all powerful being trapped in a time warp, uh, you know, would still feel the loss of, and that's the thing watching it or reading, reading these issues. Uh, again, we see, uh, you know, on the, uh, the day of the, the moon landing that this, uh, being, oh, psycho green, right. I think that was the mm-hmm. name, yep. uh, who had, uh, been uh, on the way to the moon to free Rita from her prison uh, years earlier and Zordon and Alpha had blasted him out of the sky and he landed on the moon and was placed in stasis on his ship. And then now cut to the moon landing, uh, the the ship sort of wakes up and revives him and uh, Zordon and Alpha need to uh, stop Psycho Green from fulfilling his mission of freeing Rita. And so Zordon assembles this team of five and just sends them up to the moon. And, and like we said before, mm-hmm. three out of five of them don't make it. And Zordon does does take the responsibility for that. But it is, you know, it's like there's no training. There's no nothing. It's, you know, which, again, is not shocking based on what we've seen in, in terms of how our our team was assembled. But, right. uh, yeah, like you really, you really felt for that team. And a team of adults. Now, this wasn't something that was explicitly said in these issues and i don't know if it's, it's come up later but you know part of me wonders but i don't know why this would be the answer but it just seems like okay in the last attempt unless there were even more in between who knows what will come up later but <laughs> in the last attempt as far as we know right he went for a, a group of adults who didn't know each other right now cut to the the version of the team we know it's a it's a younger group and it's already a friend group so i wonder if that informed his decision that yeah that makes a lot of sense and y- y- all you know is because of when the original series was made like we're gonna get teenagers with attitudes I'm like oh well <laughs> clearly they can fight you know intergalactic <laughs> beings um i i love that part of the of the issue or the story because of that fact i mean they pulled people from different parts of the world uh different cultures couldn't speak the same language and they're all reacting to what is happening politically in the world at the time. Way different. You have a guy from Russia, you have a hippie, you have someone who wanted to be in the space program, but couldn't, you know, because they're a woman, let's be honest. And I think there was one young, youngish person. And, you know, you got like the typical like American dude and, you know, the, these, Five people coming together who really would never be together under any circumstances. And um, it just, it made for a great, you know, like if they, if they made that a series, I would read that in a heartbeat. Like, you know, sadly if (laughs) three of them died, but like if, if none of them died and they made that a series, that would be great because that would be interesting. Very true. Yeah. To have people from, from different parts of the world with wildly different perspectives, especially if it's, well, I'm even set today that there would be plenty to mine, but you know, especially at that time, like that really, you know, that really resonated in terms of the period of time they were depicting. 
Because it's true. I mean, I always joke about this, and I've already said it on this show, but, you know, this whole idea of the teenagers with attitude. Like, they're such good kids. What attitude, yeah. you know? <laughs> just because, just because, like, Kimberly goes, uh, like, really? And, like, you know, does one of those, like, pouty faces. Like, oh, well, <laughs> clearly. I know. <laughs> Don't I'm, mess with them. <laughs> you know, this is as wholesome a group of good kids as yeah. you could possibly ask for, but I guess maybe just by virtue of being teenagers there, they have a certain uh, amount of attitude, but yeah, you're right. I, I think a version of that story where they're not friends, they don't know each other. They have opposing ideologies and they're forced to work together. Yeah. Th- that's, that's a very interesting story. No, I really, I, I, there was a lot, you know, that, you know, we find out during that, that stretch of the issues and the fact that Zordon and Alpha had these, these you know, laser cannons, right. That were trained on the moon. Mm-hmm. Right. And they were keeping an eye out. I like that. There was also, this is as good a point as any to, to bring up this. Cause I thought this was another one of the really interesting philosophical ideas that these issues got into. So after Billy and Tommy are rescued from the alternate timeline, uh, while Zordon is still trapped outside the time stream before he's retethered, Uh, And, you know, put back in his tube in the command center and up to and including when Grace Sterling, you know, makes her presence known, like during that stretch of issues. Oh, and most importantly, I suppose, while Rita is off licking her wounds, we don't have any monster attacks. There are no plots by Rita. And you see the Rangers not confined to Angel Grove fending off these monster attacks, but they're they're out across the globe putting out fires, you know, literally and figuratively and really Mm -hmm. trying to make a difference more proactively and and in a different way. And that ties in with Grace's whole MO, right? Because we find out after this whole disaster of a Power Rangers team, she made all, you know, we see her make off with a piece of the technology, which clearly she uses to build her, her Promethea company. And they're all about making the world better using dark matter as a form of renewable energy, things like that. Mm -hmm. And, and this really butts up against what Zordon has espoused all along, right? And it comes up here and he articulates once again that the role of the Power Rangers is to protect and defend the Earth, not to, very Superman-esque, not to change the course of human history. Which again, I'll make the same argument here that I did with with Superman. It's like their presence alone changes the course of human history. But right. okay, <laughs> but but yeah, not not taking, you know, not taking uh, too active or proactive a stance in all of this. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It just it 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 just brings up some some really interesting questions. And it's like, is that all that they're like? I could see as a as a as a ranger, and especially for these teens, these idealistic teens. Yeah, I mean, is that all they're meant to do is just be here to put out Rita's fires? Should they not be doing more? You know, like I thought it was really interesting. I I agree. I always thought that that would have been a a cool, like if they had, you know, in one of the versions of the Power Rangers, because they've been, I don't know, 30 or whatever, um, they need like a ground, they need a group on the ground. You know, they need a group that are, you know, taking care of the planet itself, not just defending, you know, it from space aliens and monsters and whatnot, because, you know, that's kind of what they do. But, you know, like you have like it's the old, you know, the Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility. They have amazing power. They can do amazing things. Well, why not 
put it to some good use when you can. You know, there are people starving because of X, Y, Z over here, or there is a crisis here. Well, you can easily fix that. Okay. You're not going to topple a government, just help people, you know, like that's what you're there for. So, you know, I I agree with Grace's point of view and and that whole um, line of thinking. I mean, why not? Yeah. The other thing that really jumped out to me was it's, it's when Grace is working with the Rangers to take out Finster's monsters, I believe. Yeah. And Grace resorts to her Mecha Zord, the mechanical suit she, she built herself, uh, to stomp out one of the monsters. But the monster hadn't grown yet. Mm-hmm. And Jason specifically calls her out and he says, you escalated that fight. And we know, because we've heard it a couple of times uh, you know, in the show and the comic, right? One of Zordon's rules is you are never to escalate a fight. And I've always, I've always bristled against that because it's like, why do we have to wait <laughs> until the monsters grow? We know they're yeah. going to just stomp them out. Again, I know we, we, we need the episodes to follow their formula. I get that. But, <laughs> but it was just yeah. kind of interesting when you saw Grace do, I guess, exactly what I was always thinking, right? It's like, well, if you have these tools, why wouldn't you just use them? Why wouldn't you anticipate and preempt something? And that very much seems to be her MO. Yeah. And and, and, you know, for the Rangers, and I, you know, I think that's one of the first and definitely one of the the strongest instances where Jason, I think you really, because I think initially, I think the Rangers are kind of caught up in all of this, right? And especially for Billy, seeing this amazing campus that that Promethea is, is housed on and all the cool things that they're doing. And they talk about him having an internship there. And, you know, I think it's easy for the Rangers to kind of be seduced by this, but then you sort of get to see the other side. And we haven't even gotten to the point yet where the Rangers find out that she's holding Lord Draken and using him as a power source or something. So uh, very interesting stuff. Yeah, I her her big uh, robot right out of, um, damn it, what was that movie? The Kaiju movie. Um, oh, Christ. Sorry. Pacific uh, Rim. Okay, gotcha. Right out of Pacific Rim. That's what I saw immediately when I saw her, her robot. But um, yeah, it was I. I her, uh, you know, kind of interjection into the whole thing really just kind of screw screws up the flow or the rhythm of what always happens. So you know, Zordon is always, you know, he promotes where they're reactive, not proactive, and the fact that. Okay, we're gonna do that in sites, you know, a high, you know, a much larger conflict. So yeah, it was, and that annoys me because you you know how these things go, so you should be able to know how to get ahead of it, and you know, basically prevent it from happening. But again, that's you know, kind of breaking the fourth wall, I guess, in a way, because yeah. of kind of ruining. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, there's a certain amount of, listen, we, we don't escalate because these things need to happen in a certain order for the episodes right. to feel right. And I, and right. I, I totally get that. It, it is funny, though, think, again, especially for the two of us as, as, as big Superman fans, um, you know, a lot of the parallels and some of these, these philosophical questions that come up, because same type of thing. And there have been stories that have explored, you know, should Superman do more? We have the Superman Peace on Earth story where, you know, he sets about to, to uh, you know, address world hunger. 
right? And you and that's a, such a fascinating story because that's where you see him actually go about it and all of the problems that he runs into. So it's one of those things. Well, it's easier said than done, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, always fascinating, especially when we see these comparisons uh, on, on the Superman side. Because I do think, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think you could say, I mean, not not even just Superman, but just comic book fans, Power Ranger fans. I think it's easy to have that that overlap there. Uh, oh, absolutely. I mean, you look, Superman's the originator. Everything else was a copy of him in some form. Um, and you know, like we said, he's got the history, and the they all follow a certain tempo on uh, how they play out and power Rangers certainly did. I mean, it was, you could time it out by the episodes. Uh, but that's why I liked these more because you're not, you're not hindered by a 30 or 25 minute episode. Um, you can, you know, kind of really go deep with these stories. I mean, they don't have to be calling on the Zords you know, in every five minutes, which they hardly ever do. They really don't do that so much, at least in this series that we read. Um, Obviously, there are reasons they couldn't, but like they weren't constantly doing that. You know, like the the way I see the series, the series was a like um, an outline treatment of of a much bigger show. But because they couldn't make that, this is what we got. So this this comic book series is more of expanded version of that. So, yeah, and I, I've said it, I'll keep saying it, I, you know, you, you, you read this and I know Kyle Higgins, you know, his Power Rangers fandom is well documented. I know there's the big Power Rangers podcast that he was maybe still is a part of. I, I'm not sure, but. You know, it definitely reads like someone who loved the show. You know, you really feel the love for that series. Uh, and you could tell it comes from that place, uh, which, which is wonderful. Uh, so I guess I, I know we've hit on a lot of the sort of the big picture items. Uh, in terms of some of the other character moments, themes, relationship beats, things like that. Uh, in the in the last conversation, we t- I talked about how uh, my reading of some of the Jason Kimberly scenes, especially when they're talking about Tommy, it felt like, oh, maybe we're going into a little love triangle territory here. Uh, when Jason and Kimberly talk about how Kimberly likes Tommy, uh, Jason seems pretty supportive. It didn't it didn't seem like one of those things like he was covering. At least that was my reading of it. I, and I don't know. Again, you've read further ahead, although I, I know you haven't read all the way through, but I, I don't know <laughs> if this ever comes back around. It seems like maybe not, but I, I'm, I don't, I'm curious. In what I've read, it hasn't. Okay. That's not to say it, it won't. Or in any of the other series as well, because there's like two other uh, Power Ranger series. There's Mighty Morphin. Well, this this is Mighty Morphin. Then there's like another, I don't know, there's a bunch. But I don't know if they do in there either. All right, we'll see. It seems like it it should, just as a natural progression. Because just given, you know, just, I don't know, the, the types of characters they are, like that would happen, you know? Especially with Jason and Tommy, there's that natural rivalry in, in terms of who might lead the team, in terms of who's the better martial artist. There's a, There really is a lot there to explore. So yeah. And that this, happened in real life too, in the, what I read. Oh yeah. There was oh, there, a rivalry between yes. those two. Yes, very much so. so. Uh, and, you know, as far as the, the Boom franchise though, so right, we're still at the very beginning part of it. So in the, I guess the first 
iteration of it. We had Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, which is what we're working our way through now. There was also Go-Go Power Rangers. Uh, then after I think it was the Necessary Evil story around that point, uh, those series ended and were replaced by Mighty Morphin and Power Rangers. And now recently after uh, the 100th issue of of the franchise, uh, those two series merged back into one. So now at the moment, as of this recording, there's one Mighty Morphin Power Ranger series, which is now past issue uh, 100. So yeah, there's still a lot to cover as we're kind of bobbing and weaving between the series and the, and the comics. But yeah, I'm curious to see what, if anything, transpires on that front. I do think that is territory to mine. Maybe it's too obvious or too easy. I don't know. But it would be kind of interesting to see. There's also a lot of Billy and Trini. And in, in the last discussion, Tyler brought up a great point because I said, you know, I liked the idea of maybe a, a brewing romance between them. And he brought up the point or, you know, it could just be a platonic friendship, which is always a refreshing thing to see between, you know, a guy and a girl. I'm f- happy with whatever direction it ends up going. And I just like the idea of them furthering a relationship, whatever nature it is mm-hmm. between the two of them. I, I just, they're such a natural pair. And in the show, you always saw them, like she would always help him while he was tinkering on stuff, but it only ever mm-hmm. got so, so deep. Right. So here you can kind of mine that more. And again, I feel like in the show, she was almost always pair. I mean, again, she would help Billy occasionally, but like a lot of times if she's talking to someone, it would usually be Kimberly. So I really like this here. I like this pairing a lot. Yeah, Billy, well, Trini never really got a much of a uh, just uh, just do. You know, she never, she wasn't much of a strong character in the series. Um, or she never had a chance to really um, be a strong character. So I like the fact that she is more of one in this. Um, and she's just apparently just as smart as Billy is. Billy's a friggin' genius, but she is just as smart, or at least she filled that role when his character or alternate version dies. So, and apparently that kind of carries over into the regular, um, universe. So she's pretty smart too. So, you know, I, um, I, I, I like that part of it. I think that may also be, dare I say, they're, beefing up the character uh as a way of honoring the person that played her as well um you know because she died unfortunately and uh, i remember reading about that and i was i was very i was very upset by that like oh my god you know it was like right after the crow two and then reading like just so tragic in like a car accident you know and uh but yeah they you know they Tribute her well. So I think, you know, there could be a way of, um, you know, pairing, giving her an homage. Yeah. No, I liked it. No, I remembered. I mean, I, I don't remember specifically, but when I, when I heard that news, but I, I, you know, I, I just do remember having that feeling of it was, it was shocking. And, and again, especially being a little kid and, you know, knowing her from the show, I know very, very sad. I, I agree. Yeah. I think they're really, they really are doing the, the the actress and the character justice on here uh, and especially with respect to the character fl- really fleshing her out in a way that you know I, I guess again there was only so much real estate for that character development anyway uh but for those who who got the moments to shine yeah her character was often not 
not one of mm-hmm. them. So I, I like this a lot. I like Billy coming into his own. You know, when he gets back, he starts working out. Even the next yes. time Draken sees him, he's like, oh, you're looking big. Uh, <laughs> you're which, gym, huh? <laughs> you know, like we saw over the course of the show, we saw David Yost, you know, sort of develop his physique from where he started, you know, to, to yeah. the later seasons. So uh, he even yeah. took off his glasses. Yeah. Uh, so I, yeah, I thought that was, that was a, the, you know, cool to see uh, that start to, to happen. Uh, what, what else stood out to you about these issues that we haven't gotten to yet? Well, so the thing that I, what I miss about these issues is Lord Zed. He is, in my opinion, the best bad guy. And I don't care what other versions have come out since of the Power Rangers, because apparently every subsequent Power Ranger team and bad guy is more powerful than the one that preceded it. And I don't think that at all. If you look at Lord Zed, he is badass all the way. He's not a giant walking gear. You know, he's not like a giant fish or something goofball. He is just evil. I mean, he's got no skin, man. He's all muscle, just jacked. He's got a big ass, badass staff. And just lined with, you know, chrome or silver or whatever the hell. I mean, look, he just, he's, a, he's a great character. So, you know, I, would, I remember reading this originally. But I did appreciate the fact that we sticking on Rita for a while and riding that out. When Zed showed up, yeah, it just, it just lit up the screen. Yeah. And definitely made an impression on, on us youngins watching at the time. And yeah, such a great villain. It's as you're saying that the wheels are turning because I've talked about how I stopped watching during Zio. And mm-hmm. to this day, you know, I, I've always chalked it up to a combination of, Hey, I was getting older and I was losing interest. And also, you know, you mentioned it, you know, in high school, you didn't know if you even wanted to tell people you watched it. I mean, I remember <laughs> yeah. in fourth grade, I was one of the few left still watching Power Rangers. And I always feel like mm-hmm. that probably, I can't remember consciously saying like, oh, I don't want to watch it because it's embarrassing or they'll make fun of me. I, I don't remember having that that moment, but I can't help but wonder if that was part of it or even, you know, less dramatic. But if it was just, I had less people to talk to about it, you know, that might've been part of it too. But as I'm listening to you, I'm like, oh, but maybe too, it was that we had moved away from Zed and Rita and in particular Zed. Because mm-hmm. you're right, the because Zia was Master Vile or was Master right or so there was the Machine gr- King it, and then Master Vile or vice versa. I I think I don't remember. I just know it got weird. Like it didn't like from a show that didn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense, but you just I don't know made you just made it make sense in your brain. The that series the way it evolved didn't make much sense to me. Like it just it didn't seem like a natural, like clearly they were trying to fix something that wasn't working behind the scenes. And this was their way of doing that. So like characters went away. So when Zio happened and like <laughs> the power Rangers turn young, <laughs> like they turn into like kids, kids Rangers in reverse. I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah. I'm like, Oh, so this we're doing this. Okay. And then um, I couldn't tell, like there was Ninja the big, marshmallow man looking ninja robot and then there were the alien like un, like aquaman <laughs> type of yeah you know they, power yeah. rangers which n- didn't make sense and there was a lot happening at the time so i don't remember the the series of events and like which was the um um 
like who the bad guys were. But yeah, the machine guy, bad with names, I apologize. Um, I think he was like the next major bad guy. But I didn't see how that just design wise was in, more intimidating than Lord Zed. Yeah. Now I so you know Ninjor I remember and that was how that was the vehicle through which the Rangers got their ninja powers on the show right because right. the movie was its own continuity and then yeah at the end of Mighty Morphin between Mighty Morphin and Zeo we had this Alien Rangers ten episode arc where our Rangers were little kids and then Zordon yeah. brought on the the Alien Rangers to protect Earth you know for anyone listening to this who knows the show and the franchise backward and forward and you're probably pulling your hair out as we're fumbling through you know who the major yeah. villain was you're like oh it was this bear with Sorry, us guys. bear with us but i think the the point is that uh and yeah i mean i'm really i'm sort of sorting this out in real time because i yeah I, I do wonder if that i'm sure that did feed into my sort of waning interest because mm-hmm. we i think zed was such a high so yeah, interesting. I'll, I'll kind of keep that in mind as as we make our way forward. Uh, anything else from these issues that that we didn't get to? Um, no, not so much. I um, was looking through here. There were some really cool characters um, that I really liked. One, the uh, crud, his name. He, he had like this. He was like a hooded character that uh, Rita goes to um, for. Helping oh, the Wizard of Deception. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, that was, uh, I found that interesting and I wanted that to play out. So I know that plays out later on. But, um, you know, that was a cool looking character, certainly uh, menacing when you see it. Um, and I think I like what I like about this, you know, the latter part of the series is Grace's character. Because she's kind of like a, I don't know, maybe like a Nick Fury-esque, you know? She knows everything. She knows a lot. She's aware of the Power Rangers and Zordon and all this sort of thing. And she's trying to build a bigger, you know, thing around it to protect the the planet. So, like, as I'm reading it, I'm like, oh, my God, that's right. Yeah, so this is what, you know, I find her um, kind of, you know, associate her with at this point. I love that bit in in the comic here that she's going to this, the, you know, this mysterious figure for help, and he's he forces her to tell the truth about how she failed and how she's desperate, and you see a different side of Rita, which I thought was cool. Yeah. So I'm with you on that. Uh, I totally agree about all the Grace Sterling and and sort of the role that she's filling there. Bulk and Skull. I've never liked Bulk and Skull more, in part because you don't see much of them in these comics, which is just the right amount. But when we do see them. Well, look, as podcasters for both of us, and we appreciate them, we appreciate them being podcasters. I mean, I feel like their personalities, I feel like they have personality transplants in these comics. They don't sound yeah. like their characters, but that's fine. I do like this new role for them. Because I now this came up last time, I think. The 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 mo- the most effective that I think Bulk and Skull ever were on the show was when they were trying to figure out the Rangers' identities. Because at least yeah. they weren't just being bullies. But we also weren't yet at the point, you know, we get a little later in the show and they really just have their own storylines, like when they become cops and then later private detectives, like they're just really off in their own show. But there was that time in between where they were, they had a little bit of a a mission, some kind of purpose, something that tied them into the main Power Rangers action. Yeah. 
You know, so here I like the idea of them being, uh, you know, being these quasi reporters, uh, you know, talking about Power Rangers. And that leads me into, I guess, my last my, my last big point here about uh, these issues and the series as a whole that I really like is I feel like on the series, you never really got that much of a sense of the world's knowledge of reaction to the Rangers and Rita and the monsters, right? It's like whenever they would attack, you would see whoever was in the immediate vicinity fleeing mm-hmm. and, and certainly at the juice bar. Yeah. Bulk and skull and Ernie would talk about the power Rangers, but I, you never really got a, certainly not from a global perspective, what yeah. people thought about. It. So I like through seeing the Rangers in other parts of the world and just the, the news footage that we see, things like that, that there is this larger picture here and the world is aware. I guess it just felt so, so insular watching the Power Rangers TV show in this little corner in Angel Grove. <laughs> but the, the comic gives you much, a much wider scope. Yeah. Yeah. The series you know, and this is how you read this as compared to the series is apparently Angel Grove is the only place where these things can happen. And like we discussed in the Superman fall of Metropolis, Angel Grove shouldn't be around anymore because every other day there's a, apparently there's a ton of skyscrapers that are just falling and they're fine. And if I were living in and around Angel Grove, I would have moved out a long time ago or I would have said, can we just get rid of the Power Rangers because they keep wrecking <laughs> our town? Um, and like, it's, I, I don't know. Yeah. Like clearly it's just their own little microcosm. Like, uh, you know, nothing exists beyond Angel Grove, but that's what I, you know, and again, look, we, we know why that's the case. It's the series and that's just how they construct it, you know, for the audience. But the the good thing about this series is that that's just the starting point and they can build upon all of that. Um, the one, one character that I really enjoyed was the, the, the putty sheep character <laughs> that evolved into this like sheep monster and was just saying just weird stuff, but it was just all conspiracy theories. Yes. You know, like, Oh, there was a second shooter. Uh, there's only one Olsen twin. Uh, you know, all this just randomness, silly stuff. I'm like, that's really funny because the stuff that, that it says, like, it just is so, you know, the earth is flat. Like, you know, it's so off the wall, but hilarious. Yes. No, that was, that was very, very clever. And yeah, like that's the thing with Angel Grove. And it, it is especially egregious because as much as someone might be quick to say, well, you can make that argument about any city in the DC universe. Like, why would you live there? But in the DC universe, these crazy things are happening everywhere. So you got to live somewhere sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to Angel Grove, where on the show, at least, this seems to be the only place that it's happening. So no, I really do appreciate the comic giving you that, uh, you know, widening, widening the focus there. I think that was a great choice. And yeah, it just kind of scales everything up and it raises the stakes too, because it's, you know, you, you do get that bigger picture. Now, I look, I can't say enough good things about these comics. I wish I read them sooner. Glad I'm reading them now. It's been so great just having these these conversations because it's like, yeah, I talked about them with classmates when I was six, seven, and eight. And that was great. But you know, <laughs> it was a long time ago. And, and to be able to do this now is really a treat. I have never talked to anyone about Power Rangers really for more than like two minutes. Um I, you know, like my wife puts up with my discussions about comics and Superman, 
And, you know, there's, I think just because of where we live now, uh, you know, with the movies and everything, it's acceptable, but at no point has it ever been like cool to discuss Power Rangers in depth, uh, unless you're at like maybe a Comic-Con or PowerCon or, you know, um, whatever their, their conventions are called. So the fact that I've been able to just get all this off my chest is just, it's very freeing. <laughs> <laughs> no, good. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. Well, when I was, our first two episodes of the show, we rewatched and talked about the Green with Evil arc and then the subsequent Tommy-centric episodes. And, and I was saying to my wife before I recorded, I was like, you know, I really, these episodes were really good. Like, I'm not, it's not even just that, oh, I remember them fondly. It's like, no, like I genuinely enjoyed them. And she was a good sport, but she's probably like, what's with this guy? <laughs> but they, they were like, I really enjoyed them. So it's, it's fun. Look, that's why we create a space like this where we can have these conversations where we might not be able to otherwise. I encourage everyone to check out the Dollar Bin Bandits podcast available on YouTube and all major podcast platforms and social media as well. So make sure you listen, watch, follow, connect with Dollar Bin Bandits. Audience, thank you. As always, truly, I appreciate it. A lot of great stuff still to come. I hope you will join us. And as always, remember, once a Ranger fan, always a Ranger fan. Thank you to all members of my Patreon community for supporting this podcast. If you like what you hear and are not a member yet, please consider signing up today at patreon.com slash Anthony Desiato. We offer a variety of monthly reward tiers and discounted annual memberships are available too. Beginning at the $1 level, you can listen to Digging for Justice, my exclusive DC movie rewatch podcast. Click the link in the show notes for more. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcast goes a long way and only takes a second. You're also welcome to join the conversation on social media via the links in the show notes. Last but not least, we are an affiliate of BCW Supplies, so the next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show, too. Thank you. This show is part of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network, home to Digging for Kryptonite, another exciting episode in The Adventures of Superman, Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, available wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review today. Sign up at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato for additional content. Thank you all. <laughs>